Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Kayvon Keon, who's a senior advisor with McKinsey Company. We're talking about resilience and overcoming challenges in, frankly, an uncertain world. Kayvon's an expert at this. In fact, he's an author of the best-selling book, What is Water? How Young Leaders Can Thrive in an Uncertain World. And we're going to be talking about that exact question today. You're going to enjoy this episode. We have a great conversation. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. So excited for today's episode. We're going to be talking about, think about all those times in your life that you had to overcome something. What did you get out of those moments? What did you learn from those moments? And more importantly, when you think about leadership and how do you actually tangibly lead people, not just through hard times, but especially through maybe even crises on your team, how do you do that in a way that actually makes sense and gets you to the point that you want to get to? I'm not talking about stuff that you read about in a book. I'm talking about stuff that you actually know what to do and you know how to do it to actually overcome obstacles in our life. Today, we're sitting down with Kayvon Keon. He's the senior advisor at McKinsey & Company. He's also the author of a book called What is Water? How Young Leaders Can Thrive in an Uncertain World. It's available on Amazon. You can check it out right now. Kayvon, it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you, Blake. Thanks for the invitation and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Now, you are calling in from all the way over in Amsterdam. Amsterdam. <laughs> all right, so you got to tell me, is there a food that anyone who goes to Amsterdam, they have to try this one food, one meal? Uh, I mean, what, what's Amsterdam known for? So the, the good news is uh, all the worldly dishes are uh, served here. So you can have anything you <laughs> like, uh, maybe because uh, Amsterdam is not particularly known for its cuisine. Though I would, I would recommend uh, the, the fries that we have uh, at any uh, hour of the day. Okay. Do you have a personal favorite of a meal? Of a meal, so uh, that was probably, I, it probably sounded like a personal favorite of fries. And I guess, I guess fries are just fries, right? So. Well, fries are fries uh, for uh, if you're not from here, maybe, but there are definitely some better ones if you're ever around. I can uh, I can show you. <laughs> okay, cool. I love it. Well, uh, it's great to have you on the show today. I'm so excited. It's it's always a real pleasure to have someone like yourself on the show today. Tell me in the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So my name is uh, Kayvon, and uh, uh, many years ago, I noticed while I was working as a consultant that. The leaders I was working with, particularly the young leaders, uh, that uh, they were not only struggling with the content of the work, but also in the, the how do you do the work? How do you stay sane in a crazy changing uh, environment? Uh, and all of that was way before COVID and it was already getting crazy, uh, if you can remember. And I noticed there were so many struggles. So I started a program called the, the Young Leaders Forum. 
and uh, we brought together young leaders from the private sector, public sector, social sector, and with a very basic question asking, uh, how do you lead, grow and thrive in a world that feels more volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous? And we did this without any PowerPoint, which might sound strange uh, from a consultant. Uh, we did this uh, without tables in the room, very basic, uh, just good conversations and uh, very personal opening up uh, uh, stories and learning from each other. And that picked up in here in Amsterdam, but also from the US to Australia to uh, uh, all the other continents. And what happened was that uh, after a while I realized all these things that I learned, all these things that our clients are learning, how can I make it more accessible for anyone? And that's where the idea for the book came out. So I'm not an author in the you know, traditional sense. I, don't, I haven't written all my life, but uh, the book contains all the answers to many questions that young leaders are struggling with, but also with many exercises, stories, and things to learn from. One of the things that's really valuable, though, you, you sort of joked that um, you, know, you haven't been an author your whole life, but I think what's great is that your book is coming directly out of, it's a byproduct of these really valuable conversations that you're having. Mm-hmm. Um, leadership's interesting. It feels like it's it's leadership feels like this thing where everyone sort of excitedly thinks about like, yeah, like I could, I want to be a leader. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you actually step into those shoes and you realize this is really complicated. And it Mm -hmm. almost feels like today I I was reading about how um, there's more money than ever being invested in the leadership training space. And yet people are still leaving their bosses in droves Mm -hmm. for the bad experiences that they're having, they're having, especially during COVID where uh, I don't know what it's like in Amsterdam, but here in the States, we have a worker shortage of people who are essentially saying, I don't, I don't want to work in this job environment anymore. So Mm -hmm. it's, it feels like it's this thing that's actually much more complicated in practice. What are some of the challenges that you're seeing young leaders today face? So, Indeed, the loss of talent, people are leaving, uh, especially I spoke with somebody uh, last week and uh, this person shared that there were people leaving the company because they never even ever got the chance to meet anyone in the company. So the sense of loyalty uh, mm. was very little, uh, as you can imagine. Um, so many people started uh, working at an organization during COVID without ever meeting anybody in person. Now. I would say uh, one step before that, before thinking about, you know, how do I help my teams, which is, of course, uh, uh, of extreme importance, it starts with how do I stay sane myself? Uh, How do I make sure that uh, I can cope with uh, the sense of overwhelm? I can deal with the sense of uncertainty. How do I make sure that I don't want to quit this role that I maybe had uh, over glamorized somehow, some way? because of uh, old stories or books or anything uh, like that. And uh, the Young Leaders Forum and also the book, therefore, starts with you, uh, even before others. And it helps you become more aware of all the things that you can always do that matter, that help you thrive, that are always within your control, independent of what's going on out uh, in the world. And once you master those uh, uh, ways of thinking, it's easy to become more aware of your team members and what could help them and then go on to your organization and then go to a community and go to your broader society. And we build up the scope, so to speak, step by Mm -hmm. step. But it starts with you. Does it it feel like most people are 
not self-aware to who they are and um, so maybe even their habits and uh, their perspective mm-hmm. on things? So it's, it's, it's a very strange paradox. And because uh, you could argue, yeah, you're, you're with you the whole day, right? Like, <laughs> there hasn't been a moment where you haven't been able to be with yourself. But uh, as uh, the famous story that got popularized also by David Foster Wallace in his commencement speech, uh, you know, it's for fish very difficult to see water. Some things are too close and you're maybe too close to you. So uh, when it comes to questions around, you know, what do you get energy from? What drains you? What gives you a sense of purpose? What not? What are you good at? Uh, what not? Uh, what gives you a positive kick? How do you uh, make sure you protect the positive and so forth? In practice, these were very difficult questions uh, to answer for many participants, many clients I worked with. And the big benefit was putting people together to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. So the questions are not very complicated, but right. you need to come up with them first. And you need probably someone to talk to or have a notebook, like in the book, which has a lot of room for exercises uh, to go through these. So to your point, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy and it's okay. You're not the only one if you're not completely <laughs> aware of yourself in all these aspects. I think what's interesting is that, as you pointed out, these questions aren't very complicated. I mean, you're not being, Mm -hmm. you know, put in front of a chalkboard with like some incredible theorem that you have to, you know, someone hands Mm -hmm. you the chalk and now prove this, (laughs) you know, it's, it's something as simple as what gives you energy or what drains you. Mm -hmm. But even that is something that many people really struggle to articulate and maybe they sense it maybe they kind of have they've had fleeting um experiences with okay i remember a time that i was exhausted Mm -hmm. they haven't quite put their finger on it Um, harvard business review put out a study a few years ago that talked about how when we look at the number of people who are actually um Mm self-aware they put it as low as 10 percent of people in terms of how they uh, view themselves and who they actually are, those two people actually lining up and being accurate. Mm. What do you think the reason is for such a low percentage of people actually being self-aware and knowing who they are? You know, some of these questions, mm-hmm. knowing what drains them, knowing what, knowing what they're gifted at. Um, any ideas? Yeah, I think you know, on a more fundamental level, it could be, you know, a philosophical reason because, you know, it could go very deep uh, into, you know, who are you and uh, uh, what does it mean to be fully self-aware and or enlightened? So I'll, I'll leave that for another uh, moment okay. to have the, that. I'll be the next podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, of course. And uh, that's very interesting, of course, to discuss. But on a more practical level, uh, it is often, uh, you know, we we learn things we focus on. And uh, if you don't get uh, the honest feedback from your environment, if you haven't been raised in an environment where these questions uh, were asked, if you didn't go to a school where people would focus on who you are, but much more on what you should perform, uh, what you should be able to do. So you go through school uh, and your first job and all of that thinking, you know, what's the new checklist? I need to, you know, sort of uh, mm-hmm. accommodate to. And these checklists are there for a reason. You know, the people who are able to do these, perform these tasks, uh, succeed in this company and help our clients and so forth. But it's continuously trying to adjust who you are to, you know, the new checklist, the new checklist, which can, of course, you can imagine be very 
tiring after a while because the question is, okay, but who am I and what do I want to do and what do I have to bring? And in the book, in the Young Leaders Forum, we turn it completely around. We don't say, you know, what are the checklists that uh, others, uh, and what are the expectations of others? You know, that's a good question. But we say, what do you bring? And maybe you're very entrepreneurial, but you work at an organization where nobody asks you to initiate anything. Maybe uh, you're very resourceful, uh, but again, nobody asks you that question. You're good at resolving conflicts. Maybe you're good at setting a vision. Maybe you're good at uh, mediating. You're a creative problem solver. You're good at analyzing all these things. And then we ask, okay, but of all these things you're good at, which ones give you energy? Which ones drain you? Mm-hmm. I'm surprised how often people say, nobody's ever asked me that. The assumption mm-hmm. here is just because I'm good at something, I should enjoy it. I should like it. But actually, no, I'm, I'm good at resolving conflict. But uh, once a week is fine. But once a day is just too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm completely depleted. But the other way around, yeah, as well. If, if I can ask more about that, it mm-hmm. seems like many people who come on the podcast, they are um, business owners, they're leaders in their own right. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed a common trend of guests on the podcast who have started their own business. Many of them were formerly in the corporate world. Yeah. And one of the reasons that they left was exactly the phrasing you're using that, well, no one, no one was really... Um, taking advantage of this passion or skill set that I really felt like I had. It seems like this is a a common trend in Mm -hmm. large businesses where you have talent, but recognizing the individual gifts of that talent uh, is is often missed. And some of these things, they don't necessarily fit well on a resume. Mm -hmm. I'm good. I'm good at resolving conflict. You know, they don't necessarily put that on a resume. And so what's going on in the corporate world? How, how can we be, for those who are listening, for example, who are managers in a corporate environment, right. how can we access the talent of our people better and engage them better? That's a very good question because uh, just relying on you know, the way things uh, are, are being done doesn't uh, result in getting those talents out because someone or some people at least uh, centrally have to think you know what's the policy for the average employee you know what's the policy of how we do things in general you could consider that a little bit uh, like a minimum standard mm. if you work in a certain organization where you know there's a lot of analytics that needs to be done of course there's a minimum bar that you need to perform at otherwise it might not be a good fit in the first place But uh, as a manager, then you can say, okay, if this is the minimum standard, let's look beyond that. What is this person bringing in? What what were the qualities this person had when they started interviewing here? Did they indeed have their own company before they joined? Uh, Are they uh, someone who are able to see solutions that others don't beyond the day-to-day scope of their work? Do they have a fantastic sense of humor that can break the ice with the most difficult clients uh, that Mm -hmm. we have? in a way that doesn't come across as unprofessional. And uh, having a very simple conversation with an individual, uh, it starts also with yourself on a board that says, you know, let's think about these topics. And as a manager, you can set the tone here because you can say there are certain things in life I'm good at, but there are also certain things I'm not so good at. And that's fine. There are certain things uh, that give me energy. There are certain things that drain my energy. And Mm -hmm. that's fine. And by sharing some examples from your side, saying, you know, I'm really good at planning, but 
I'll be honest, uh, this is not the reason I uh, signed up for this job, but I'm still going to do what's required. Uh, what about you? What are certain things that you, you know, you need to do, but maybe are not the most exciting parts uh, of the work and how do you make sure you don't get drained? In the book, it's about small things that make a big difference. So it's not about changing the whole organization because most people who read this or joining this podcast don't, are not in a position to do that or even want to do that. Right. How do you make that difference within your team, within your management, within uh, with your programmers, within the lab, wherever you work? It seems like the teams that, that do this well, they foster an environment of trust and mm -hmm. vulnerability. I know many I've had, I live on a, um, in a college town when the college campus is literally just right up the road. And uh, I work with some of the young entrepreneurs who are, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed thinking mm -hmm. about the future. And it seems like this conversation of what am I passionate about? What am I good at? What do I not feel? I, I don't know if anyone would necessarily say I'm not good at blank, um, out of mm -hmm. fear for how that might be perceived. Like I'm not, I'm not the right person for the job, mm -hmm. but I have seen in many companies where that environment of trust is really nurtured where someone can openly say, not only am I not, I don't feel very passionate about this. I also don't think I'm very good at it. And they're not talking mm -hmm. about like their job, right? They're talking about like one element of their job that isn't necessarily the job description. Mm -hmm. how, how can leaders foster that culture of trust and vulnerability where you can collaborate and have conversations with your team members to essentially put them in the right positions. Very good. Yeah. Because this is not about judging people or uh, evaluating them. Uh, this is in many ways about how do you bring out the best out of your team? How do you make sure you can run this marathon using these unconventional skills that you bring? And uh, two things that uh, immediately come to mind. One is, uh, as I shared a little bit just now, is uh, being the role model. So, uh, you know, if you don't share uh, these things about you, if you don't ask for help or advice or anything around that, you cannot maybe necessarily expect others to, to open up that easily. And uh, I've worked with uh, people myself directly and uh, it works very nicely when people start with themselves and say, look, this is a little bit the conversation I would like to have, but let me uh, share from my side. And second of all, this is, it's not an academic exercise as in, you know, let's list, uh, let's create this exhaustive list of the hundred <laughs> skills and map them. And I can, yeah, some things are maybe private. Some people don't want to share certain things or not. That's, then that's completely fine. One thing that uh, I typically do is say, uh, let's share one thing. You know, what's one skill you're not good at but energizes you that after we've done, we've finished working on this project, you want to make progress on, you want to have made progress on. And uh, let's talk about that. And someone says, you know, I would love to get better at negotiating because, you know, I see this in the movies and I see this everywhere and I think it's really exciting. Nobody's ever taught me this. Uh, it's not business critical, but it's definitely exciting. And, uh, and they say, okay, let's start there. And who knows along the way, you have a second or a third skill, but you can make it fun. You can make it exciting. You leave the choice to the team and you build that trust, you know, step by step. I love that. And I love the idea of having that open conversation with your team members and that mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily public. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I was in a meeting one time where 
it essentially was everyone else on my team was let's talk about what Blake is really good at and what he's not so good at. And I, I wasn't expecting it. And I remember thinking like, this was a bit awkward for me because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't necessarily think we were doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the other insight that you said that I think is really valuable is I think that many people who are listening, who are leaders, they have the perception that they have to communicate that they have it all together. Mm. And so this concept of actually role modeling it and Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, this is something that, you know, to your team, I'm not very good at whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And maybe I even need your help in doing it better. Uh, That sort of transparency and and vulnerability, it seems like goes a really long way Mm -hmm. to creating that culture on your teams versus the leader who tries to present, uh, themselves as I got it all together, uh, yeah. or worse, we're going to talk about your challenges, but we're never going <laughs> to, we're never going to talk about me. I'm the boss. Mm-hmm. So, which I think people are, uh, sort of in a, in a cliche, they're sort of used to. It's a, uh, it's a very good point that you bring. And, uh, fundamentally you could say it's even in your own interest because n- nobody believes there is a perfect person. So, you know, Everybody knows if you say you know, we got it all together, that uh, that's just not true. Uh, there's no basis in reality. It just means you don't want to talk about any of these things, probably. <laughs> and uh, and why not? Uh, unless uh, you feel that uh, you are exactly where you want to be for the rest of your life, why not find something that uh, you get energy from, but you're not good at mm-hmm. yet? And uh, you're doing this project anyway. You might as well develop uh, new skills for your next step. Something that we haven't, we've mentioned it a little bit, but we haven't really dug too deeply in it mm-hmm. is this concept of uh, essentially resiliency. What mm-hmm. what allows someone to overcome challenges, overcome circumstances? I think all of us in our lives, we can point to different moments that we would say that was a really hard moment in my life. Uh, and some people, frankly, have uh, much more challenging circumstances than others. Um, talk to me a little bit about, and I know this is part of the premise of the book, um, a little bit more about this concept of resiliency and being able to overcome hard situations. So, as we all noticed last year, if nobody had noticed uh, before, that uh, hard times are part of life. It's inevitable, uh, privately, professionally, collectively, and uh, the question is, how do you prepare maybe in the good times, so when the challenging ones uh, arrive, that uh, you feel prepared? You can not only lead yourself, but also your teams, your organization, uh, your uh, community, and others. And I hope that uh, the reader, after finishing the book, sees that resilience is a wor- very broad word, abstract word, just again, like meaning, like strengths, and all of these things. It's not a button you push and say, you know, I'm, I'm a more resilient person now. <laughs> it is the result of a, a variety of ways of thinking and doing that uh, help you thrive through challenging times. And what I mean by that is uh, in the book, having a very simple uh, premise of, okay, what matters? What are the things that help me uh, thrive right now and my teams? And the second question always is, what's within my control? And learning to think in that way already gives you a sense of empowerment in a world that feels out of control. You realize that you can 
lose 24 hours per day focusing on all the things you wish you could do but can't. Um, but who's going to be helped by that? You, your family, your team or others? Or you did find those things that were in your control and you made the most out of that. You invested your heart, your time, your sweat, your tears uh, and energy in, into there. And uh, practically speaking, um, when it comes to resiliency, you can imagine that that means being able to protect a sense of positivity or at least not make things seem worse than they actually are. Uh, this means that uh, you are in tune with what gives you energy and what not, mm -hmm. so that you can play with that throughout the day, the week, the month, the year, because it's going to be a very long marathon maybe, and you don't know when it's going to finish. Uh, when it comes to resiliency, it's about the sense that there's someone in the world who cares about your well-being, or at least how can you be that person for others? How do you empathize with others? How do you listen to the emotional message? How do you have those deeper conversations uh, around that? How do you provide a sense of meaning? And all these things together, uh, from my experience, they add up. And then you could say you have a good chance at being resilient. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem like there's this other factor of your um interconnectedness with other people mm -hmm. that sort of give us a, when we talk about like the sense of control and optimism, it, it, it almost feels like, uh, so a great example would be a friend of mine who is notoriously upbeat and optimistic. And I was chatting with him about his worldview and his perspective. And he said, well, at a young age, my mom, we would go to the hospital to volunteer. And I remember one of the wards that I would end up in would, would often be the burn unit. And so seeing some of just the agonizing pain that some people were in was a bit of a, um, a contrast to, okay, the things that I feel like are really bad, they feel bad, but in, in perspective of what's happening in the world in terms of just overall suffering, this is something that I shouldn't necessarily give more weight to than it needs to have. And, and not to diminish anyone's personal struggle, but it does seem like the more we connect with other people, the more we're able to appreciate the things that are going well in our life, the things that we do have. Um, another example that I would think of that if I could share with you is whenever I started my business, I was really down on myself feeling like, man, I'm, this business isn't going anywhere. I'm not, I don't know if I'm really making anything happening with this. And I had a friend of mine who is here from China, and we were talking about um, just just his life and what he'd been working on. And uh, at this time, I remember my backyard, it had been raining for like days, it was flooded. Um, it just wasn't very well kept. And I was kind of embarrassed about it. But this was a time in my life that I was also thinking like, what do I even have? Like, what I mean, what it's like, what should I even, you know, be optimistic about? Well, we went to my back porch to sit outside and he looked over my backyard, which was muddied and ugly and, you know, flooded. And he said, wow, I have worked my whole life to have this. And it's a typical American backyard. It wasn't, you know, anything impressive, but him saying that was a triggering of a perspective of, wow, I've really taken for granted some of the things that I should be grateful for rather than um, constantly pessimistic about. So um, I'm not even sure what the question is out of that, but it does <laughs> seem like your ability to connect with other people is important in this conversation of being more resilient. It's um, 
connecting with other people, uh, if you're lucky in the sense that you're exposed to real life situations that reset your perspective. Uh, the intention of the book was also to give you the freedom to play with these kinds of thinking all by yourself. And uh, if you find it important to cultivate a sense of gratitude and positivity for what you do have, well, how do you do that so that it feels genuine, not uh, like a, a sen- like the, not with a sense of guilt, like, oh, I should be more grateful with my life. What are exercises that you can do to realize that what you have is not a given, how things could have been otherwise uh, without diminishing uh, any of the difficulties that exist only if you want to. Mm. And the idea here is as a leader, uh, it's not about moralizing and saying, you know, you should be grateful in life because there's always someone in the world to and so forth. Um, It's very much realizing, okay, this week is going to be a tough week. Maybe gratitude can help me to pull through better than I otherwise would have. And I choose to cultivate and practice this throughout this week for myself, for my teams, for my family, for my community, because I want to be more resilient and be there for others in times of need. And it's a sense of choice because I want to, not because I have to. And that's it. Uh, You can do the same for meaning. You can say, well, uh, it's difficult maybe sometimes to even feel that sense of gratitude. You cannot force yourself all the time, of course. So you can say, well, at least uh, I want to make sure that that which I do, I sense that I'm contributing to something larger than myself. Uh, As uh, the philosopher Nietzsche would say, those who have a why can bear almost any how. Um, So in this case, this report I'm writing, in this case, this neighbor that I'm helping, in this case, this conversation that doesn't seem to be ending on the phone, how am I helping someone? How, what am I contributing to? And how do I make sure I don't lose sight of that? You know, who am I doing this for? And that sense of meaning might help me and my teams pull through better than we otherwise would have. And this is freedom of choice, freedom of uh, how to think, freedom of making sure that uh, you find the right angle at any given moment of time. So you always feel empowered that uh, I sincerely hope that the reader takes away from it. It's not about how you, you know, what you should do, but what you could do. And then you decide uh, what you want to do. Okay, Vaughn, some of the things that you've been talking about today are such deep concepts, and yet they make so much sense. Like they have such an inherent practicability to them. Uh, Tell me more about yourself. I mean, when people (laughs) sit down with you, do they just walk away thinking like, wow, I have a new outlook on my life? I mean, what does it look like when people are connecting with you and conversing with you? And I mean, I can't imagine you have these, these, um, I can only imagine that you have these really incredible conversations for people who are willing to listen. Um, What drives you in all of this? What drives me? That's uh, such a nice, uh, you have all these good questions. I noticed in your podcast. I try try to be a good host so that people will come back. (laughs) I, uh, I personally, uh, through uh, a a lot of journeys in my life uh, from uh, startups or uh, work or uh, immigration, uh, having uh, seen war firsthand, I've I've noticed uh, so many moments in life that I felt that, uh, if only uh, we could help each other pull through a bit better. And uh, these challenging times are not going to end. If you uh, are a young leader today, who knows what 10 years from now will bring us, 20 years, 30 years. Um, it's an uh, 
an illusion to think that you know after the, this pandemic things will turn out uh, uh, practically easy and simple. So what drives me is being prepared uh, for what's there to come and having the peace of mind that no matter what life brings our way, uh, maybe not only individually, but collectively, we know how to handle that. And uh, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, 2000 years ago, people were thinking about these uh, topics. And I hope when people have a conversation with me, we feel uh, both of us that we learned something uh, from each other, um, a way of uh, looking at uh, a situation, uh, a different perspective that might be relevant today, might be relevant uh, in the future and uh, a sense of, uh, uh, yeah, that was, you can say, you know, it was refreshing. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I mean, I feel refreshed. I, I'm, I'm thinking about just my life now and <laughs> just my perspective. But is this perspective that you're talking about, is this the answer? Is this the counter argument against pessimism today? Because I know many young people, they're looking at the world right now and they're feeling either hopeless or incredibly pessimistic. They're looking at rampant climate change. They're looking at wealth inequality. They're looking at political polarization where they're seeing friends and family and even maybe even themselves who are um, really being played into identity politics and which side are you on? And I don't know what it's like in Amsterdam, but in the States, it's incredibly volatile, incredibly chaotic. Uh, to even have a conversation on, you know, your political ideologies. So, and, and not, not to mention all of that, we just came out of a, or hopefully are coming out of a worldwide pandemic that has affected literally every single person you can think of has been affected in some way. Uh, is, is, what's the answer to this pessimism? What's the answer to this hopelessness? So the pessimism and hopelessness uh, that you mentioned, uh, it's very understandable. And uh, personally, you can, I can say for myself that it's, uh, it's very sad uh, in the sense that the, your youth, when you talk about young leaders, uh, it's a time for idealism, it's time for envisioning good things, it's a time for having that energy uh, that maybe more senior people lack and bringing that in. And uh, you could also argue that many people a little too early feel very disappointed in uh, how things are and how things are working. And that's a big risk. It's a big risk that people say, you know, I give up. You know, it's too complicated. It's too much. Who am I uh, to fix uh, or change all of this? Uh, I don't even know what the solution is, let alone what my part in all of that could be. Now, the book is not intended to... to solve, let's say, <laughs> pessimism or hopelessness, because uh, that's a different conversation. I, I don't know, you know, who are we to say, you know, you shouldn't be pessimistic, you shouldn't be hopeless. But if somebody says, I don't want to be pessimistic, I don't want to be hopeless, this is a phase of my life that I actually want to create instead of only witness uh, what I uh, don't like, then uh, the book says, well, these are ways to feel empowered. This is, uh, there are always things within your control and uh, within that community, within your family, within your household, within your team, with this department of your organization. These are the differences that you can make already today. And if you're up for that, uh, great, let's talk. Uh, If you wanna feel that uh, this may be not for you, that's also fine, right? There's no uh, inherent thing you should do again, uh, but it's a big invitation if you want to.
I love that perspective of even if it seems like things are falling apart in the macro, uh, being incredibly mindful of the things in the micro that mm -hmm. you can control and the people you can impact and the responsibility that you can embrace if you so choose. So Kayvon, we're unfortunately out of time today. This has been such an interesting conversation. I've loved it. And absolutely, I wanna invite you, you need to come back on the show again in the future. Uh, this has just been, it's been such a delightful conversation. Thanks a lot. Uh, it will be a, a great pleasure. Time flies with you. <laughs> what for people who are listening, who are thinking, okay, I, I, I need to connect with Kayvon. I want to learn more about him. I want to follow maybe some of his content, uh, maybe for businesses who are listening, who are thinking, okay, maybe I would even want to work with Kayvon. What, what does that look like? So the easiest way would be to uh, connect on LinkedIn and uh, you can, you know, just type in my name, Kayvon Kian, or I think it's LinkedIn slash in slash Kayvon. But uh, um, any question that uh, you have as a listener, feel free to uh, just send a message. And uh, many of those questions hopefully can be answered already by the book. Uh, since the pandemic, it's on maximum discount. We couldn't give it away for free on Amazon, but uh, it's uh, for, I think, uh, hopefully there are no financial barriers there. And uh, uh, we can always have a conversation to see how that could look like, how we can uh, work together. If you're interested in articles uh, around this topic, I publish uh, uh, almost once a month uh, something new around this. Uh, this week, I handed in the manuscript of book number two uh, around you know, better decisions under uncertainty. You know, what does it mean to uh, be more wise uh, or at least attempt to be more wise? So uh, all those things that uh, are hopefully available for the listeners uh, when they like. I love that. Well, Kayvon, like I said, it's been a, a great pleasure having you on the show today, and I appreciate you coming on. Thank you again, Blake, for the invitation. Hey, for our listeners, I'm going to put the link to two things. I'm going to put Kayvon's LinkedIn uh, profile down in the episode description below if you want to connect with him. I'm also going to put a link to the book, What is Water? How Young Leaders Can Thrive in an Uncertain World. Uh, the link to the Amazon purchase link will be down in the episode description below. It's available on Kindle, hardcover, paperback, and also on Audible if you want to use one of your monthly credits on that book. And hey, if you email me, I would be happy to buy you a copy. So send me an email, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com, and I will send one copy your way. Hey, if you've been listening to the podcast and you enjoy the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button, click that follow button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. And hey, don't forget if you enjoy the podcast and you maybe even want to support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash good advice where you can support the podcast. You can even advertise your business in the introduction of the podcast. Again, that's at patreon.com slash good advice. As always, we appreciate you listening and we'll catch you later. See ya.